Welcome to Export Stories, a podcast featuring first-person insights from the wide and sometimes crazy world of U.S. exporting. Your host for Export Stories is Betsy Olam, president of Olam International, a U.S.-based export management company. Betsy has made a 37-year career of developing global sales and distribution for U.S. companies. Like you, she loves great stories. You don't have to be an exporter to enjoy the stories we're going to share with you each month. We're so glad you've joined us. Now, here is Betsy to introduce today's podcast. Hello, ciao, bonjour, hola, konnichiwa, nihao, marhaben, namaste, and shalom. Welcome to Export Stories Podcast 2023. Thank you for joining us. I'm calling today's podcast the Alabama episode. Uh, And it's going to open your eyes to both the dynamic region known as North Alabama and to a unique international HR company from the region, PZI Consulting. First, a word from our sponsor. We are all about storytelling here, and there is another story I want to tell you about. It's the story about how one company can help you solve your commercial real estate needs, whether in town, across the nation, or over the oceans. That company is Levy Commercial Realty, LLC. They provide strategic commercial real estate advisory and brokerage services. I'm talking about retail. I'm talking about restaurant, entertainment, and distribution. Levy's clients include local legends, regional brands, and Fortune 50 companies known around the world. You're going to want to join Levy's select group of clients. Their email is contact at levycommercial.com. That's Levy, L-E-V-Y, commercial.com, and I'll post it on our website. Now back to the show. We are fortunate to have two guests today, Anne Burkett of the North Alabama International Trade Association, uh, which I believe they call NATA, a nonprofit business-driven membership trade association, and Deborah E. McGee, president and CEO of PZI Consulting. They both join us from Huntsville, Alabama. Hello, Anne and Deborah. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Betsy. Thank you, Betsy. We're glad to be here. Oh, this is great. All right, so we're going to start with Anne, with you first. Um, Can you please tell our audience who is NATA and what your role is? Well, NATA is a nonprofit organization um, that helps businesses develop markets overseas. We do that through education. Um, We have training seminars and webinars um, uh, to help companies understand the mechanics of exporting and international business. We also um, educate our members on trade policy issues and other issues related to trade that they may need to be aware of and can be a knowledgeable force to go to our elected officials to tell them what we need to be successful in the global marketplace. And then we have connecting events where we connect our members with each other. They are in different areas of expertise so they can learn from each other as well as with our foreign um, counterparts. Uh, We bring in delegations from different parts of the world and we set up B2B meetings and help them interact so that they can develop markets in those those countries. Very good. Well, um, I'm so glad uh, that you were able to do that. And then I'm gonna ask you another favor since you've known Deborah 
uh, for some time. I would love it if you would introduce her. I would be happy to introduce her. Um, Debbie, or Debbie, Deborah McGee is NADA's immediate past president, and she is the founder, president, and CEO of PZI International Consulting Incorporated. She has over two decades of experience in international human resources and global mobility management within the manufacturing, financial, and consulting industries. Um, Deborah's multifaceted career includes 13 years as a consultant with the big four global accounting firms, specializing in international business and human resources management, including global tax, mobility, and human resources policy development, benefits, communication, operational efficiency, payroll, risk management, and international expansion, all very important to companies doing business overseas. Over the past two decades, Deborah has developed a vision while innovating at successful multinational companies. Her vision was to create a business with other highly accomplished subject matter experts to effectively serve those managing global workforces. PZI experts best serve their clients because of their extensive practical subject matter expertise, as well as proven success in solving international business and global human capital management challenges. With multiple locations across the globe serving Fortune 500 companies, PZI brings innovative and strategic solutions customized to each client's vision, needs, and goals. And NADA is so very appreciative of Deborah's leadership and vision for NADA during her term as NADA president and ongoing, which her term was during the pandemic when NADA had to make some major shifts in both programs and operations. And we survived and thrived. So it's my pleasure to introduce Debbie McGee. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. And Deborah, welcome again. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Anne. That was that was. Wow, I sound really old. <laughs> <laughs> no, just really accomplished. So, so uh, Deborah, you're not a native <clears throat> of Huntsville, I, I believe. But so, can you tell us a little bit your story about how you came to Huntsville and sure. then how you created your company? Um, sure. So, I uh, I am a retired military spouse. My husband served for 31 years. Uh, during that 31 years, we moved 22 times. Um, so trying to uh, have a career and raising three sons as well during that uh, that 31 years. Uh, gosh, sometimes I look back on how did I even keep a career, much less have one with big four accounting firms and multinational corporations. And, you know, I, I joke all the time that I know what I know thanks to the United States Army. So shout out to them. But yes. that is that really is true. Oh, sure. So when, <clears throat> when my husband said, OK, it's time to retire. And I was working with a big company in Charlotte, North Carolina, and our kids were out of school, and he was in uh, El Paso, Texas. Um, I told him, I said, it, it, it must be in the South. We we're both originally from South Carolina. So that was my one stipulation. It had to be a Southern state. Yeah. And we had spent 25 years in the uh, in the desert, so it had to be near the water. And <laughs> Gunnersville, Huntsville, it was. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And, and, the, and um, so... Was it soon after y'all moved to Huntsville that you created the company? No, not not really. So he retired in 2010, and I was the uh, global head, the international HR global head for Doosan Infracore, which was a, a Korean uh, Jable corporation that had bought three divisions of Ingersoll Rand, uh, had bought Bobcat, Portable Power and Attachments. Um, it was a huge, huge purchase, obviously, 
And I was part of the, um, of the initial uh, leadership with that organization to come in and design a best in class, a global mobility international HR function. Uh, when I started that, we had, I think they had maybe 30 expats. It was very small. When I left five years later, we had 2,500 expats in 30 countries. Wow. So uh, what, yeah, so obviously you had amazing experience uh, in order to, to come up with this idea for your company. Well, it's interesting. I never really planned to start a company. I'm <laughs> one of those. Uh, I think yeah. a, I think a lot of us entrepreneurs will say that it's like I never planned for this to happen. It just kind of happened. Right. Um, but you know, truly, I, I did plan to retire and I did plan to do some consulting. And you know, no offense to Huntsville, but I never thought there was anything international in Huntsville, Alabama. So it's like, well, I'm moving to Huntsville now. What am I going to do? I guess I'll I'll drink margaritas and sit on the lake, and that'll be my my career. <laughs> but but I got involved with NADA. I went to several other meetings. I used to be on the National Foreign Trade Council steering committee for the International okay. Summit Management for that piece out of uh, Washington, D.C. and New York. So yes. when I found that we had an international trade association right here in Huntsville, Alabama, of course, I, I wanted to be involved in that. And once people kind of found out what my background was, it was like, oh, well, we just won this contract or we just we have a guy here or we've got some people there. And it just it just exploded. Wow. Hey, there was a niche, obviously. There was a niche. Needed. So that's cool. Well, as, as I read it, PZI stands for People Zealously Connected. I love that name. Can, can <laughs> you tell us what that means to you? Sure, absolutely. So pe People Zealously Interconnected is all the different pieces of our, of our companies. And actually, reality is we actually have five companies in the PCI group. So PCI International Consulting was our first, and we've expanded out from there. But we, we do a, a global employer of record, which means we employ people all over the world. We have our own entities in 26 countries. Mm -hmm. uh, we are a relocation management uh, company as well, which we can take care of all the household goods shipments, tip housing. Those 22 moves come in handy for uh, personal experience on what that means to actually relocate anywhere in the world. Sure. Uh, we have an insurance brokerage. So I also have my insurance license as well as being a CPA. Um, because I found, I found that international insurance was something that so many brokers and companies just don't really understand. Yeah, you know, they, I, they I, have the I, domestic, but they don't understand the international. I actually was an, uh, an international insurance broker when I lived in San Francisco, and uh, it really did open my eyes. I'd been mm -hmm. in the logistics business, so, but it's so important, and it's, and it's, I think it's, not maybe not appreciated is the right word, but a lot of people don't realize the risks that need managing. <laughs> Absolutely, it's, it's a it's a fiduciary uh, duty of care risk. And when I was at big uh, corporations, so not only was I the head of at uh, at Doosan, but I also was the the global head for the Americas for Lafarge. Uh, so I was in charge of their international HR. Um, program as well. That that was about 160,000 employees, and I think we were in 40 countries. I think our population might have been 3,500 um, international assignees. Of course, all the international business travelers and everything everything that comes with it. So it um, it's all about moving the talent. So when I moved here and, and got involved with NADA, um, I was surprised that um, we didn't have an international HR piece of the program. And that was one of the pieces that I, I wanted to bring to NADA was 
was the whole piece of the international human resources because you know at the end of the day betsy products don't sell themselves people sell products people right. sell services right. so if you're if you're trying to expand internationally you need people you need your talent to be able to do that you need them at the right place at the right time you know with the right skill set and how do you do that it's it's a lot more complex than getting on a plane and booking a hotel exactly definitely uh so interesting and and all right so there's this large basket of services uh you talked a little bit about is there anything else you want to say about talent globalization i thought we'd talk about just a few of the services i, I picked sure. a few to talk about no, that's fine is there anything else you want to say about talent globalization well, when, when we talk about talent globalization it's the whole package and a lot of my experience of how I designed the company is very similar to how I designed the uh, the, the global function for Dusan. Because I had the ability to be part of a green field, I, I did it the way it should have been done. And after having spent, you know, 14 years in uh, the big four accounting firms, and I, I'm sure, you know, over my career, I probably managed at least 50 global uh, accounts. And those were, you know, hundreds, thousands of expats policy design, yes. uh, compliance related, you know, payroll compliance, taxation, risk, uh, risk assessment, how much risk is involved in that. When I first started the company, that was one of the things that some of my colleagues who used to run programs with me as well, um, that are now like uh, Gilbane, Newmont, uh, GDIT, I came in and actually uh, went through their programs. So I did an audit of, of their program to help them kind of find the the risk that might be associated with it. Because what I learned when I was doing programs is that uh, it's amazing how an outside consultant can come in and say the same thing that the inside consultant saying all along, but they just seem to hear it a little bit better when it's an outside no, consultant. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, it's, it, it, it really is an independent voice, and, and sometimes that really is needed when you're trying to move forward in your management structure or, mm -hmm. or uh, yeah, your concept of how you want to grow, that kind of thing. Well, I think, you know, so often in this field, um, a lot of companies see it as logistics or they see it as, um, you know, HR related not really necessary, nice to have, but the moment that, you know, that they start to lose that talent, then there's a problem. And so that was one of the problems that I found at my last corporation that I worked was, I was surprised at how fast we were losing our expatriates. And I, my program was no different from any other program. Um, one of the things I, I found was that we had lost 100% of all of our repatriating expatriates within a two-year period. Gosh. So, that's but when you think that you spend a million dollars for a person over a three-year period and they just walked out the door with all of your knowledge and all of that experience what's your return on investment and so i put in place a program to kind of start working on that return on investment to keep them engaged to to do a lot a lot more development communication development um, behavioral preference development stuff that was required not just culturally in language but also how you do business and how do you connect person to person, no matter what culture it is or what language it is. And within a two-year period, we were back to 100% attrition. Wow. 
I mean, you're right. It, it, it is so expensive. I said to, retention, I meant, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah, you know what I meant. Yeah. It's so expensive to lose really experienced uh, employees, uh, you know, who, you know, know the corporate culture and, mm -hmm. the, and the policies. I know that's really really important um, it was it was interesting and that was one of the reasons that I always liked that industry <clears throat> because um when you're dealing with individuals it's it's very stressful to live in another country as a military spouse um I was fortunate enough to have built-in infrastructure to built-in support groups that's just part of the military culture yeah. but as a corporation you do not have that often the often the people you're sending is the first person on the ground there is there is nobody else. There's no one to help them find a, a place to live. There's no one to help them understand how to go shopping in the grocery store. Um, <clears throat> I went to Prague once with to go visit a some expatriates over there, and the the, the guy told me that <clears throat> they had gone to a local grocery store and his teenage son happened to be with them, and they saw what they thought was a was cold milk. That's not something, I mean, we take that for granted in the United States. You just go the, you know, to the, the coal section, you grab it. No, that is not the way it is outside the United States. It's usually in a carton and it's usually not cold. Right. Um, and so he saw this, he picked it up, thought, oh my gosh, this is wonderful cold milk. Picks it up, starts to drink it. And it was not milk. It was quite disgusting. So oh, just yeah. those little things. I'm that, sure. There's so many stories like that. There's so many of them that just... Um, you know, when I went to visit another group, they I always used to ask, what can I bring you? Is there anything I can bring that you really miss in the United States? And they're like, can you bring me a suitcase of peanut butter? Because my kids are dying for peanut butter. <laughs> and, oh, that's so funny. Uh, and um, have you found in your experience that a lot of the expatriates are assigned to their positions for uh, just say um, a specific amount of time in other words mm -hmm. are they is there usually they move on to either come back to the U.S. or move to other assignments is that more common that well it should be that should be the way that 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 an assignment should work and that was one of the things that I put in place um, at my corporation as well because when I when I went to ask our CEO why do you send expats why do you think that we have expats and he goes well, I'm sure that 90% of all the expats we have are on the high potential list. Why else would we spend this kind of money, you know, for someone to go live overseas for a couple of years if they're not on our high potential list? So I said, okay, I'll find it. Let me, let me go, let me go research. I came back, I found that maybe 10% were on the high potential. 85% were knowledge transfers. And I think that's where you see the most of it is knowledge transfers. Well, this guy knows how to do the business. So obviously I need him in that new location to do whatever it is that we're trying to do there because he knows the business. Right. And so they, they send them over there. Everyone's, I, I, I used to joke with people that taking an expat assignment is kind of like a, uh, a teenager going off to college. Everyone's really excited. Oh my gosh, we're going to live in France. It's gonna be amazing. It's like, you know, we're gonna be right outside of Paris. It's gonna be wonderful. And about six months into that assignment, you realize I, I live here. I don't, this isn't a vacation. <laughs> this right. is, you know, this, this is my day-to-day -day existence. And it's very different from, from that standpoint. So a, a lot, yeah. a lot like going to college. Exactly. Exactly. And so the global staffing and recruitment that you mm -hmm. do, uh, does that include uh 
and it sounds like it does includes existing employees within that company, but you help them see where they could move and grow. Yes, yes, and, and that was a niche that I really uh, that I really kind of fell into with PZI. Um, like I said, I had always worked with large multinational corporations. And typically when you're dealing with, you know, 20 plus billion a year corporations, they open their own entities all over the world. Um, I used to I used to laugh at my tax director just cringed every time he see me coming around the corner because he knew that would mean that we had a new guy that was going to some location that we didn't have and he had to go open up an entire entity in that location and pay taxes and all the all the stuff that goes along with that. Yeah. Well, with 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 the global EOR, which I frankly I wish I had known back when I was running pro, was my tax director would have loved me. It gives the it gives companies the ability to actually utilize a company like mine to hire those individuals, to pay those individuals, to you know take care of all the logistical things that need to happen, all the statutory things that need to happen, and they don't have to set up in the country. That's the beauty. So when the assignment's finished, they're done. Oh, Wash their hands and they're out the door. That's a that's an incredible service. And again, then also you offer what you call global payroll solutions. What does that mean exactly? I mean, I guess, but I'd rather. Yeah, sure. So, so when you talk about global payroll, when I first started the company, like I said, working with multinationals my entire career. You know, if you're a U.S. person, you're always going to have to report here in the United States, but you're also going to have to report taxes and everything in other countries. And so this split, split, shadow is, re, is reported in different places all, all simultaneously. But then there's also, well, what if you want to hire foreign nationals or if, what if you want to expand into a new country and you want a new workforce? How do you how do you know how to do that? How do you find the people? How do you recruit them? How do you set up the payrolls? How do you pay them? All those things are, they're complex. Oh, and, sure. You know, I, I wish I could say that most companies are so well thought out that they've, they've come up with all these ideas, but they're not. The idea of going international is usually being, you know, tossed around for a long time, but then an opportunity pops up. It's like, okay, we need to do this now, right now. And, you know, the HR person who's, typically managing the day-to-day operations of a of the of the home country, the US company, they don't have the expertise in that. You know, so trying to figure out how do I do the global payroll, how do I do the global HR, how do I stay compliant with local labor laws and also stay compliant, you know, with US labor laws at the same time too. It's a it's definitely um difficult to try to navigate. Absolutely. Uh, especially uh being knowledgeable about that country's labor laws, as you said, and tax mm-hmm. and tax requirements, and uh, yeah. So, oh, that's that's really interesting. Good to know. Um, so, I want to talk for just a minute with the two of you about the story of Huntsville. Um, you know, and what Huntsville is today. I mean, some people might know that, you know, NASA has operations there and others may have heard about Space Camp, but Huntsville is so much more. And um, so could you and Ann just talk a little bit about that? I mean, first of all, I have one question. What is the lake? What's the name of the lake you mentioned that is there? Oh, there's four lakes here, but I happen to live on Gunnersville Lake. Oh, okay. So you're surrounded by the lakes here in Huntsville. It's, it's quite quite amazing. And th- those were created by the TVA dams? They were. 
They were, yes. On the Tennessee River, I guess. Yes. Okay, well, yeah, so tell us the story of what Huntsville is today. I'm, I really like people to... Well, I would be glad to start yeah. that. Um, sure. You know, Huntsville was a very well known as a cotton town back in the 40s. Right. Um, and then um, the space program really put us on the map. NASA Marshall Space Flight Center is here. It was started here in, uh, well, the German rocket team came in the late 50s and it started in the 60s. Um, and it just has continued to grow from there. Um, Today, we are a very uh, vibrant community in the technology sector, aerospace and defense. We also have a very um, innovative biotech sector through Hudson Alpha Institute for Biotechnology. We um, have expanded our federal campus on Redstone Arsenal to include the FBI, as well as the many of the Army installations, one of which we work very closely with. It's called the U.S. Army Security Assistance Command. And that organization um, does all the foreign military sales for the Army. And NATO, since they started about 16 years ago, NATO started hosting programs. And it's today it's known as the NATO FMS Industry Day, right. where we bring in uh, people that are from the different combatant commands to talk about what's going on in those regions so that companies can understand how they can get involved in foreign military sales or direct commercial sales for that matter. It's just a great opportunity for our companies to grow in that sector. And I know that Debbie has helped companies in that sector because again, that's where you're sending people overseas. So I'll let her chime in there a little bit about um, FMS. Yes, and so the foreign military sales is an amazing program. Um, but but it does take a lot of understanding. Often uh, companies, especially their first foreign military sales, because it's a U.S. contract with the U.S. government, they yeah. think, well, I don't have to worry about any type of you know foreign uh, foreign taxation or foreign labor laws because these are, after all, these are Americans working on a U.S. contract, you know, for the U.S. government. So what's there to be a foreign? But all the foreign military sales are sold to foreign nations. So if they're selling a product, let's yes. say, and they need to go and, and do maintenance or training on that product, well, that's work. That's not business development. That's actual work in those countries. And to do work, even training and, and maintenance, you have to have a work visa. How, how do you get a work visa? Well, you've got to be licensed in the country. You've got to be set up. And once you're licensed and set up, guess what? Then they come looking for taxes. They start looking for compliance. And so there's a lot of pieces around that with the foreign military sales. And I, I think many contractors, you know, sometimes forget those pieces of it because they're so interested in selling their product. Again, they forget it's the people that are really taking care of those products and building the relationships with those foreign individuals. So the understanding the cultural pieces of a foreign military cell, understanding the, you know, the language differences when you're dealing with those types of things, the different labor laws. It's, it's so much more than just, you know, time differences or, or Zoom calls. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So on, on this uh, specific event, uh, do companies from all over the U.S. who who have foreign military sales, do they come to Huntsville? Yeah, it absolutely. It is, a, is a national event. Mm -hmm. It attracts companies from across the nation. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. usually we'll have between 150 and 300 
uh, participants that will come. And you know, because of the, the different commands, the Army Materials Command, the Army uh, uh, Contracting Command, uh, the USASAC Command, they're all here at Redstone Arsenal. They bring in their experts to talk about what's happening in all the different regions of the world. You know, how much money they're they have in foreign military sales to give to contractors, you know, right. in, whether it's Asia Pacific or whether it's Europe or whether it's Africa, uh, all the different places. And so it gets, there's a lot of opportunity there that I think until people actually come to an FMS industry day, they don't necessarily understand the impact that it could have on their company. So could this be a company, could a company that has not made a foreign military sale, but really wants to, could they participate and learn about the opportunities? Yes, Absolutely. definitely. Mm -hmm. We do an industry collaboration panel as part of the program where we have industry people that have been successful in the foreign military sales area to talk about how they did it so that other, especially small businesses can understand yeah. how they can get involved in. Um, a lot of the, the big primes um, have to have small business com you know, components as part mm -hmm. of their contract. And um, it's just a great way for a small business to get involved. We've also had some small businesses that have actually been the prime. So it's, um, you have to know what the needs are. And so this kind of gives you a heads up on what are the needs, what do they expect the needs to be, um, so that the companies can begin developing their strategy. Um, they don't like companies to come to them and say, can I do FMS? They want you to have done your homework and you come to them with a capability that you think will help the U.S. Army. Um, they, they're not interested in, in trying to find a place for you to fit. You have to come, do your research, do your homework, and find out how you think you can fit, and do your research on maybe what prime contract prime contractor has that FMS case, and, and, and contact them and see if you can be a, a subcontractor to them. So it's, it's really a good opportunity for companies to learn how, to, how the process works. Yeah, and and are there like one-on-one -on -one meetings you can set up in advance or that kind of thing? Um, we have a networking reception following, and our speakers oh, stay for that. And uh, we'll, and of course, they'll answer questions during the session. But some companies want to ask one-on-one, -on -one, so that's the opportunity for them to do that one-on-one -on -one in a more informal setting, just to talk. But the 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 people from the army are there to answer those questions, and they stay around until the last question is asked. Oh, well, that sounds so valuable. And is this an annual occurrence? We try to do it once a year. Um, okay. There have been occasions where we've done it twice a year. Um, but right now, it seems to be trending to be once a year and our annual. So people are always looking out for the date for the annual mm -hmm. NADA FMS Industry Day. Definitely, definitely. One other component of it that we include in the program, because it's so important, is our export controls update portion. Um, many of the companies have to comply with export control regulations, even though it is FMS. And many of the companies in Huntsville, Alabama, because of the technology involved, have to comply with the ITAR and the EAR through the Department of State and Department of Commerce. And so NADA offers quarterly roundtables on these topics, as well as a component of the FMS day, where companies can come together and learn about specific topics. Um, this year, we've um, just completed one on technical assistance agreements, and then we had one as part of the FMS Industry Day. So um, that is something that companies can uh, learn about so that they don't get into any kind of trouble and they understand what are some of the rules and regulations required to do business overseas. Um, 
And we also have a signature global strategies forum that we offer um, every other year where we bring in uh, the officials from State Department, Commerce Department, U.S. Department of Treasury, um, U.S. Department of Defense to talk about export controls and regulations and any kind of regulation that the government is imposing on companies trying to do business overseas so that they can talk to the actual decision makers and understand what it is that they need to do to stay in compliance with their products right. and services. Right. If you know the date of, of next year's, I'll uh, post it on the episode page for this uh, for this episode. So we talk. About I can that. send you dates of several upcoming events and that would be great. We would appreciate that. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, and then don't think don't forget about all the uh, the commercial industries that we do with the World Trade Day as well. So, I mean, you know, Huntsville is definitely known for our, our military uh, presence. But we're also known for the commercial side of the house with the yeah. Boston Toyota um, <clears throat> joint plan, which is the first in history where two competitors have come together to build a plant site uh, to to produce two different com competing products. But yet utilizing the same uh, people to actually produce us is quite phenomenal. And then, of course, Polaris is here as well as uh, Amazon distributorship. So you've got a lot of commercial industry here that's really allowed, you know, Huntsville to expand past just the Redstone Arsenal. Yes, and we also have one of the top uh, airports for international cargo in the this area, not for people, but for cargo. A lot of international cargo goes through the port of Huntsville. And so... That is a, an asset to the, the whole community and to the companies that are here. Absolutely. Boy, uh, you know, I've, I grew up in Memphis, but I've been around North Alabama all my life, and I can't believe how it's grown and evolved. Oh. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, well, so, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Say, I was just going to say, Debbie mentioned our World Trade Day and World Trade oh, yeah. Week, and that is an annual event that we do uh, in May. Um, and we focus it on a specific topic of international trade. And then we also award one company uh, that has shown exemplary, exemplary success in the global marketplace with the NADA Global Trade Award. So it's a coveted award by the community and the region. And uh, we like to uh, really recognize our companies for the outstanding um, exporting or service that they're providing to the, to the region. Um, we also do tours during that week. So um, Debbie had mentioned some of the companies that are here. We've uh, done tours with the Port of Huntsville with some of our international freight forwarders, some of our companies that are doing business internationally so that companies can come in and see how others actually do it and ask questions and see, you know, where it really just puts, puts some visibility on the export versus just the investment side of the economic development. Um, right. arena. So we really want to show how exporting is creating jobs and bringing in tax revenue for our region. And, and we do that through World Trade Week. And what's the theme for this year's World Trade Week? Uh, this year is on free trade agreements, specifically the U.S.-Mexico-Canada free trade agreement. We mm -hmm. have a keynote speaker from the U.S. Trade Representative's Office who mm -hmm. actually was one of the negotiators on USMCA, and he's going to talk about USMCA. Um, and as well as some of the workforce programs and workforce initiatives that's part of USMCA. Um, we will be highlighting um, Drake State uh, is a HBCU um, and some of their workforce initiatives that they're doing with the NASA Marshall Space Flight Center. 
Mm -hmm. um, and then we will be just uh, giving our companies a heads up on what's going on with UMCA, USMCA, how they can get involved with selling to Mexico and Canada and just any any yeah. opportunities that are out there through our free trade agreements. So that's our theme this year. We're yeah, very excited. Excellent. Excellent. Um, good. I'm so glad you, you brought that up. Um, all right. So now this is the part of the podcast is our storytelling minutes because, you know, we're all about storytelling here and so I thought maybe if you have some interesting stories from all of your travels and your working in international human resources we'd we'd love for you to share any anything like any stories that you have because part of our business is also relocation management not only are we are we exporting talent, but we're exporting goods, you know, so we're exporting household goods. And one of the biggest things that you always tell individuals when they're moving from one place to another is there are certain things you not, you cannot take into certain countries. So yeah. I had, I had, I had a, a, um, a family from Korea that was moving to China and they decided that they wanted to take rice. Now, there's rice in China too. Pretty sure there's <laughs> rice in China. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, no, you cannot, you definitely cannot take that. You know, you can buy it when you get there, but you can't take that. It's not like you're taking diapers or something. Right, right, right. But uh, so sure enough, they took it. And customs, as you all know, and in, in, yeah. in freight property, customs has every right to go in and inspect anything they want to. And right. sure enough, this one, this one uh, shipment happened to get inspected, and guess what they found? rice what? bugs in the rice you're exactly right and so oh, that yeah. shipment that shipment took six months to get it out of customs and it cost the company about an extra ten thousand dollars because of all the all the fines hello listen to deborah oh my goodness all the time yes oh man that's that's so crazy uh I, no telling so the interesting uh uh, things you find that people want to do and uh, well, when you're dealing do. with people right when you're dealing with people and that's right. when you're dealing with your talent then exactly. uh, that let's face it that's that's any company's most valuable asset it's not right. the it's not the product it's their, it's their talent and exactly in today's world when there's such a, a world talent anyway you really got to protect that talent you know but you you need to educate them for sure Oh my goodness. And um, since, since COVID is, you know, it's not completely over, but mm -hmm. since we're all globally managing our businesses, uh, what, what changes have you seen since between during COVID, mm -hmm. you know, when there wasn't much movement and is there right. now just an explosion of movement of people and we are beginning to see that pick back up but you know the interesting thing like my company actually grew significantly during COVID and it was really my uh our employer record division that grew because of immigration because in the companies were no longer able to get even though they had approved immigration you couldn't physically get them into the country that oh, was yeah. you weren't allowed and yes. so we were able to go in and hire those individuals in the country where they were physically at mm -hmm. and they were able to work for the u.s company remotely and so i think that's changed a lot too is all this remote work but the problem with remote work is that the compliance pieces the tax the immigration etc that 
hasn't become remote yet. So if you are physically working in a country, I don't care if it's Aruba, because it would be really nice to work on the beach. Right. Um, Aruba has a right to tax your income. Doesn't matter that you're working for a US company, right. you're physically sitting in my country and I'm gonna tax it and get some money from you. And so that's been that's been really interesting. The same the same things have happened with the states, you know, with uh, U.S. individuals working different states, going home to you know take care of parents, et cetera. Right. Didn't bother to tell HR they were actually in that state, and the company didn't have an entity set up in that state and weren't licensed to do business in that state. Oh wow! So, oh well, wow. so the compliance compliance is a really big piece, and COVID. Sure. I think if anything, it didn't make compliance. Um, less it, less hard it made it more because mm -hmm. it drew attention to it it really drew attention to the compliance piece of it because people were no longer under the radar screen you know right. everyone knew you were working from somewhere because you could physically see them right. and you know that background isn't really the my, my real background i'm really at the beach you know but yeah yeah so oh my goodness Oh, this was such an interesting conversation today. Uh, I, I mean, there's so much more we could say, but yeah. but I just want to thank you, Anne and Deborah, for being our guests today. This was really fascinating, really fascinating discussion. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Thank you. We appreciate the opportunity to share. My pleasure. So, um, and let me just say to our listeners, you know, if you have any questions or want to share some thoughts about today's podcast, please reach out to me at exportstoriespodcast.com. Uh, there there will be an episode page uh, for this episode. And, and, you know, we really like your comments. Uh, we're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. This is a community of exporters. It's really good to have some conversation about what you're hearing and, and what your thoughts are. So thank you to everybody for listening and we will be back soon with another episode. Thank you so much for listening to Export Stories. Perhaps you have a good export story that you would like to share with us or a comment about today's podcast. You can send your ideas and comments to our website at exportstoriespodcast.com or to Betsy Olam on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter at exportstoriespodcast.com so we can alert you of upcoming episodes and share resources with you. We're building a community of export storytellers, so please share this podcast with your friends who have interest in exporting.